This is episode 108 of Diferente with special guest, Super Bowl 46 champion, Chris Canty. Wait, hold up. Before we go any further, I have something very important to ask you. Will you share this podcast with your friends? It's very easy to share the love by either texting a direct link to this episode or posting a screenshot and link to the show on your preferred social media platform. Make sure you tell them why you want them to listen. Thanks for your support. Now back to the show. For those who don't follow football, Chris spent 11 years playing in the NFL, which is a really long career in the sport and has a Super Bowl championship ring to show for it. He's now living his next dream in broadcasting as an on-air talent at Fox Sports and ESPN New York. Chris is a true inspiration for anyone looking to make an impact. In this episode, we chat about growing from adversity, the ingredients to building a legacy, social justice in the NFL, and giving more than we take. Plus, there are a few keys that Chris shares with us about what it takes to be a champion on and off the field. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming to you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you experiences and lessons in life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Hey, Chris, thank you for being on Diferente. Thank you for having me on, Maribel. I appreciate the invitation. It's a pleasure to have you. We know you are an impressive athlete, now retired from the NFL. Tell us something people might not know about you. One of the hardest things I had to do in life was transition from playing in the National Football League to actually uh, being an on-air talent for ESPN and for Fox Sports 1. Took a while to try to figure out how exactly to present myself when I got on the microphone, because it's not enough just to have the experience to be able to speak about a sport, but you have to be able to present the information in a way that's entertaining. So it's just a different format of entertainment and just trying to make that adjustment. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do in life. Wow. So your career was not always a comfy ride. You had some serious setbacks, like when you injured your knee in college. I read that about you. And mm -hmm. people thought you might not be able to continue your football career. How did you keep yourself in good spirits after that injury? And what made you keep going? It was tough um, because it was not only the knee injury that I had my senior year in college, but also suffered a detached retina as a result of an incident that happened off the field as I was getting ready for the 2005 NFL Combine. And so I had a dislocated knee and a detached retina going into the biggest job interview of my life. I guess the biggest thing um, that was the motivating factor to get me to push past all the adversity that I had faced in a matter of, call it six months, was probably just being rooted in my faith. I'm a Christian man. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so I just prayed and I had faith that God would still give me the opportunity to pursue something that I had worked my entire young life to try to accomplish. The opportunity was presented to me to be drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. And even though I wasn't drafted as high as I would have wanted to be picked, it still gave me an opportunity to be into the NFL and to join one of the iconic franchises in the NFL. And that really allowed me to make my name in the NFL, um, being able to play in Dallas for Bill Parcells. It would end up being a blessing in disguise. But yeah, that was a tough time for me. Was there ever a point where you just didn't see it, where you wanted to give up? 
Oh, absolutely. Faith is one of those things that you have to trust in. And even when you don't want to believe, you still have to try to believe in it. You still have to have faith. You still have to have trust that God has got you. That was for me, one of those situations that made it a real intimate relationship with God. What about the people in your life? Who were the key people that influenced you to continue into your career as an NFL football player? Uh, It's really about my family. When situations happen like that, when you have a major knee injury, then you have a major eye injury, and there's questions about what's going on with you medically, there's questions about what's going on with you from a character perspective. People tend to gravitate toward individuals that are successful or people that are viewed as potentially going to be successful. And at that point, I was damaged goods. You know, nobody really wanted to be associated with what I had going on. You know, it was one of those Mm. tough situations. I always say it's like roaches when the lights cut on, they kind of scatter. And Mm. it really was just me and my family. That's all I had to hang on to. Me, my family, and my faith in God. That's all I had to hang on to. Now, I will say this. I've always wanted to be successful. I was more afraid of being nothing than I was of being hurt. And I guess that's kind of how I look at the situation where I was going through before the NFL draft. I knew that if I got an opportunity, that was going to be the situation I just kind of thrust myself into. And I was just going to try to do everything that I could to take full advantage of that opportunity. So there was a fear factor there, but it wasn't a fear of, was I going to get hurt or anything like that? It was a fear of, okay, I got to make this work because I don't want to be somebody that wasn't able to fulfill their potential. I love that. That's very inspirational. So that leads me to the behind the scenes aspect of being a professional athlete. What part of the grind behind being an athlete in a professional level do you think people not get to see? Well, I don't think people get to see the total hours that you're working. I mean, everybody assumes that you just show up on Sundays and you play football, but there's a lot that goes into preparing and make sure that you're ready to give production when you get out on that field Sunday afternoon. So when I got into the league, I had to learn to be a morning person because a lot of the guys that had success, a lot of the guys that have been around the league, you know, five, six, seven plus years, those were the guys that got to work early. They started the day intentionally. They got to work and they had a game plan on how they were going to actually win the day. One of my mentors, a guy named Greg Ellis in Dallas, and he told me, he told me something that was, it should be something that's obvious, but really people don't recognize everybody wants to go out there and win on Sundays. But it's the guy that wants to win on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, during the preparation over the course of the week. That's the guy that's going to put himself in the best situations consistently. And if you're a talented individual and you're always putting yourself in the best situations due to your preparation, well, then you're going to play at a really high level. And so that was one of the things that I had to understand and just kind of continue to approach it and learn how to be a pro. That's one of the biggest misconceptions, just understanding what it means to be a professional. And it's not just necessarily being an athlete. You can apply it to any profession that you want to, but just understanding what that entails for your specific profession. So one of the things that I did when I got into the league is just tried to learn from as many of the older players as I could so I could give myself a chance to have a long career. You bring up a really good point, which is a lot of people think that it just takes talent to be successful at your career or at life. Do you think that success is mostly due to effort? It's mostly attributed to effort. And and here's the thing. It's a matter of committing yourself to having the repetition so that you can improve at whatever skill set that you're trying to develop. It's a simple equation. If you do something more times, the more you're going to improve at it. It's ultimately just a matter of committing to getting the necessary repetitions that you need to perform at the level that you would like to perform at. 
So with football, it's just a matter of working harder. And that means watching film. It means taking care of your body. Um, just having a commitment to excellence in that regard. It's one of those things that you can actually outwork people that have more talent than you. That's where folks kind of get it twisted a little bit is that you think that, okay, if you have this level of talent, you don't necessarily have to work as hard. Well, if somebody's really, really talented and they worked hard, they're going to be in a position where it's going to be hard to be better at them at what they do. And yeah. when you're the best at what you do, then you have all the leverage in the world, whether it's being able to command a higher salary, whether it's being able to diversify and do other things. When you're the best at something, you're going to give yourself more opportunities. What do you think are the qualities that make a champion? I don't mean just in sports, because you kind of touched on that a little bit, but what about being a champion in life? What are the qualities that make you a champion? Well, I think somebody that's able to motivate themselves. Everybody has something that externally motivates them, but what's the internal motivation? What's the reason that you get up in the mornings? I think that's probably the thing that separates people that are good at what they do and others that are considered the best at what they do. So if there is something that's internally motivating you, that's going to be more consistent. External motivation is inconsistent. Internal motivation is one of those things that you can rely on because that's always going to be there. Everybody wants to talk about Tom Brady and how he's reminded that he was the 199th player picked in his respective draft class. Every player has something that drives them to be great. Every person that's successful has something that drives them to be great. I think that the most important part of that is just the internal motivation aspect of it, making sure that whatever it is that's pushing them, that's consistent, because that's going to lead to somebody having a consistent approach in their work ethic. And what's your why now as a retired athlete? What is pushing you to move forward? It's funny that you just brought that up because that's what's pushing me now more so than anything else, just chasing greatness. I felt like I had a good professional career as an NFL player, but it wasn't a great professional career. There was things, there was aspects of it that I wish I could have improved on. And, and that is what it is. You played forever, though. <laughs> I played 11 years. I won a Super Bowl. But, you know, I never played in a Pro Bowl. I was never an all-pro performer. So these are all things that you can look at and say, okay, this is something that I wish I had on my resume mm -hmm. and maybe a reason why somebody might look back at my professional career and say, okay, maybe this guy wasn't amongst the greats mm -hmm. of his era. That is what it is. It's always debatable. But I guess my thing is I want to be great at something. I want to truly be great at something. And I felt like being an on-air talent and being a broadcaster offered the opportunity to chase greatness. It's an opportunity to reinvent myself. It's another challenge because you recognize you can't play professional sports forever. It's more so a hustle than it is a career. So I always looked at, okay, what's the next thing that I can step into and have an opportunity to be great at it? And I looked at being an on-air talent as that next challenge. It was something where I'd be able to use the requisite knowledge that I gained from playing professional sports for over a decade. I'd have an opportunity to talk about and be around a sport that I loved. So I always looked at all of those different things and I said, this made a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons. But the biggest reason is because it gave me an opportunity to chase greatness. Speaking of greatness, what's it like to be a Super Bowl champion? It's the best feeling in the world. <laughs> There really aren't any words to describe it. Growing up as a kid in the Bronx, New York, I loved the Giants. And then to have an opportunity to come back home as a free agent in 2009 and then in 2011 win the Super Bowl in my hometown, it was just, it was the most unbelievable feeling, like for the franchise that I cheered for as a kid. And then, you know, going down the Canyon of Heroes in New York City, a parade 
to over 3 million people and just the ticker tape everywhere and getting the key to the city from the mayor. It's, it's a dream come true. And I know that sounds cliche, but that's literally one of those things that you couldn't imagine what it feels like or how good it feels. That's awesome. And you know what's so funny? I think that what brought you good luck might be the fact that the Super Bowl weekend is usually on my birthday. Hey! hey. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that 2011 was, well, do you remember the date? It was Sunday, February 6th. It was my birthday. <laughs> it was the 6th. Wow. How about that? That is awesome. Yeah, wow. I told you. I brought you some good luck. That is good luck. 100%. So what is the best career advice that you have ever received? I have to go back to Greg Ellis. It's probably the simplest advice. And he said, just keep running. Just keep running. No matter what happens, just keep running. And I guess that was his way of just saying, continue to push forward. There, there are always going to be things that happen in your career that you can't control, breaks that don't go your way. But you can't focus on the things that you can't control. You have to focus on the things that you can control, which is just your work ethic, your preparation, your discipline making sure that you're a high character individual in the locker room, always give the organization a reason to keep you around. And I think that's what he meant by just keep running. So I always just apply that to whatever I do. Just continue to stay at it. Eventually, you'll get the opportunity that you're looking for. And with your preparation, as long as it's consistent, you'll always be in a position to take advantage of the opportunity when it comes along. So it was just keep running. Best advice I've ever gotten. What you said is perfect. You have to keep preparing, though. You can't just wait around for something to happen. In order to achieve greatness, you have to keep preparing to receive that greatness as well. Mentally and physically, I think. Sometimes people use the words can't or I wish more than they say, I can do this. I'm going to achieve this. We often put ourselves in the situation where we even hold ourselves down before life even holds us down. You lose the game mentally before you even start the game physically. I guess that's probably a way of looking at it. It's almost as if people talk themselves out of or give themselves a reason to not be successful rather than trying to do everything that you can to put yourself in a position to take advantage of the opportunities when they present themselves. And I think that's why you have to talk about your goals and write them down and make plans to, you know, create these steps that you're going to take. Because otherwise, if you don't put a plan into motion, you're not going to achieve anything. You, you have to be shooting for something. And I think a lot of people miss that also, because like I said before, they think that it just takes talent to get great at something, but it doesn't. No, you're right. You have to have a plan in place. That's a great point that you bring up. You have to be goal-oriented. And going back to the lessons that I learned when I first got drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, from those guys that have been around the NFL five-plus years, they told me to win each day. It's a matter of making sure that you have a plan on what you want to work on in that specific day so you can improve and get your skill set overall to a place that's going to be competitive and be where you need it to be when you get out on the field on Sundays. I guess being able to correlate that to success in other arenas in life, you have to make sure with each day you have a plan in place on what you want to accomplish. And mm -hmm. that way you can have tangible evidence that you're actually improving and moving towards your goal. If you have mm -hmm. a couple of things that you wanted to get done in that specific day and you get them done, okay, well, you're checking a couple of boxes, you're moving closer to your goal. You have some empirical evidence that you're moving closer incrementally to where you want to be. I think if you just kind of wander aimlessly, 
even if you're giving good effort, you're not going to get the results that you're looking for. And in your humble opinion, <laughs> what are the three ingredients people need to build a legacy? Oh, the three ingredients. Okay, well, you can't truly be great unless you help somebody else. And that's helping somebody that can offer you anything in return. I always look at if you're going to be great, you've got to be able to extend yourself and you've got to be able to help other people. You have to be charitable in whatever it is that you're doing. You have to find a way to be able to pour into other people, to give to other people. Now, people do it through different means, right? There are people that give resources to help people that are less fortunate. There are people that will donate their time, their particular skill set to be able to help other people. You know, they'll teach. But I'm a big believer in your charity being or speaking to who you are as a person. What you give says more to me about who you are than anything else. So I would have to put charity right up there. I think work ethic, obviously, is one of those things. You can tell a lot about how much a person appreciates the opportunity by how hard they work. If it's somebody that doesn't really work hard when given an opportunity, well, they're taking that opportunity for granted. And eventually, there'll be somebody that comes along that bests them in that specific arena because they actually appreciate the opportunity that's in front of them. And then my last one, I would have to say self-discipline, making sure that you're doing the things that you want to do, but also understanding, okay, I have to be able to be a master of myself before I can do anything else. So I have to be able to control myself. I have to be able to understand these are the things that I want to be about. And so if I want to be about this, then I have to sacrifice other things or other aspects. I have to be disciplined in this regard in order to achieve this. So I would say that would probably be the next one, self-discipline. How did you learn self-discipline? Because you mentioned earlier that you had to become a morning person. I always looked at it this way. I was never going to be the most talented athletically. Okay, so if I wasn't the most talented athletically, what were certain things that I could do to give myself an edge, to give myself an advantage over my competition? Because in the NFL, players inside the NFL circles, we joke about it saying that the NFL stands for not for long. The average career <laughs> is somewhere between three and four years. So I always try to look at it as to what was it that I could do to give myself an advantage? And one of the things that I could control was being disciplined. And that's not just with my approach and my work ethic when I'm in the practice facility, when I'm at work, but that's also the things that I did when I was away from the facility. You know, saying no to partying all the time, saying no to drinking or using drugs because my body was my business. You know, just taking care of myself. That was something that I can control. That was a place that I could give myself an edge, making sure that I get my proper rest making sure that nutrition reflects what I need to do from a production standpoint athletically. All of those things add up to success. And so those are the little things that I looked at and said, okay, I can give myself an edge here over somebody that's athletically more talented or somebody that's bigger or somebody that's faster. These are the things that I can do to give myself an edge. That's why I always talk about discipline. And it's an easy concept to understand. It's a simple concept to understand. But when we talk about trying to apply it to our lives, it's a lot more difficult. I always thought that if I can do this, if I can control this aspect of things, that I'm going to give myself a competitive advantage. And that's true with any profession. But with football, I just, I just use these terms to kind of describe it because it's something that I actually did in real life and, and it had the results that I was looking for. So I think that that's one of those things that people have to understand. You have to be a master of yourself. You have to be able to discipline yourself when you're trying to accomplish a certain goal. 
So the three ingredients, giving back, mm-hmm. work ethic, yep. and self-discipline. There you go. I'm interrupting this awesome episode to ask you a favor. Will you take a few seconds to leave a review? Tell me what other topics you would like to hear on the show. It takes less than 30 seconds to write a review and you can help change lives. Okay, I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but that's the kind of impact that Diferente is all about. A brighter outlook, a different perspective, all of this can be life transforming. Switching gears, you know, because you've listened to Diferente, that this show is all about learning through people's experiences. And there have been many, many opinions on the topic that I'm about to bring up. But I want to hear your opinion because you're someone who has actually lived the NFL experience. What are your thoughts on Colin Kaepernick and the other NFL player protests about the national anthem? I think Colin Kaepernick is a modern day hero. And I think history will look at Colin Kaepernick and what he did. And you can't truly appreciate how impactful his messaging was and the vehicle that he used for his message. I don't think in the time that we live, we, we can't fully appreciate it. One of the things that we've discussed when talking about the Colin Kaepernick issue is why is it so polarizing? Because mm-hmm. ultimately the message should be a message that everybody in America is on board with, which is criminal justice reform and equality when it comes to policing in black and brown communities. And yeah. you can see the disparity in arrest-related deaths if you just go on the Department of Justice's website. The statistics are there in black and white. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, no pun intended, but I mean, uh, African-Americans make up roughly 15% of the population, yet we account for almost 30% of arrest-related deaths. There's a disparity there that's, that you can't argue. There, 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 you know, There is no fake news when it comes to what's going on in terms of the inequality in policing in black and brown communities. So it's something that fundamentally we should all be on board with. But why is everybody in this, I guess, adversarial mindset when it comes to discussing the issue of whether or not Colin Kaepernick and other NFL players should protest during the national anthem? And I like the phrase of protest during the national anthem because I think a lot of people would like to say the national anthem protests. And and I think that's a manipulation of what's happening. The players are not protesting the national anthem. Players are protesting police brutality and they're protesting the criminal justice system. It just so happens to be that the national anthem is the vehicle that they're choosing to use. Now, Mm -hmm. going back to 2005, when I first came into the NFL, a lot of fans of football don't realize that players were not on the field when the national anthem was being played at that time period. It was only in 2009 when the NFL, in partnership with the Department of Defense decided that they were going to have the players as a part of a campaign or to advocate for the men and women in armed services and to promote the military in America. It was almost a situation where the NFL owners were being paid to contribute to patriotism in the country, using the National Football League as a billboard for the Department of Defense and all the the, the various military branches. And so the NFL got tens of millions of dollars from the DOD to have the players participate in part with the National Anthem and the Salute to Service initiative, which they have every November. I don't think a lot of people know this. No, a lot of people don't know this, but here's what I will say. The NFL used the National Anthem to further their agenda, which is the bottom line. 
Mm-hmm. But when you have a player that decides he's going to use the national anthem to further his agenda, which happens to be equality and policing and criminal justice reform, it becomes an issue. I don't understand why NFL fans don't see the hypocrisy. Because I don't think they know both sides of the story. I mean, honestly, I think people focus on just one side. And like you said, the way that they receive the message is, oh, these players are against the national anthem. They're not receiving the message as it truly is. Yeah, and you're right. But I think it's a difficult conversation to have, especially if you're in the majority. It's one that's uncomfortable because nobody wants to see themselves as a part of the problem. And so Mm -hmm. I think that fans gravitated toward the convenience of making it controversial and making it about disrespecting the men and women of the armed forces because it's a way to shut down the conversation. It's a way to not have the real conversation. This is one of those things that I'm glad that it started the conversation. I'm glad that it agitated. The form of a protest is to make people uncomfortable, to force people to think. But now with the NFL rolling out this rule, and they unilaterally impose this rule saying that if players are out of the locker rooms during the anthem that they have to stand, this is now the NFL owners putting the onus and the responsibility back in the players' court. And I'm not necessarily saying that that was the right thing to do. I'm saying that this is what they are doing. It's now on the players to find another avenue or another way to continue to press the issue, even though you don't have the ability to be able to protest on the field during the national anthem anymore. Yeah. Now, the rule says that they can stay in the locker room, right? But they can't come out and kneel. Well, here's the thing. It's the visual of it, right? If you come out and kneel, then it's top of mind. If a player stays in the locker room, okay, they're staying in the locker room. And that does present an opportunity to address the media and talk about it after the game on why you stayed in the locker room. You can keep it top of mind. You can keep it topical that way. But in just terms of keeping it on the mind of the national conscience, I feel like it's important for players to find another avenue to be able to do that while they have this platform of playing in the NFL. And there's nothing bigger than the games on Sunday, right? So that's how I always look at it. If you're able to do it within the context of the entertainment product on Sunday, then it's going to have maximum impact. So I always look at it, okay, how can the players keep the urgency of the conversation alive now that they don't have this format available to them. That to me is the next step because it's it's always about continuing to agitate and you have to continue to make people uncomfortable in order to force change. It's about continuing the conversation. And I also think, and this is no disrespect to you because you're a retired NFL player, but I have to say that this year, I didn't want to watch the Super Bowl. I told my husband, Doug, I was like, you know what? I just don't feel right about what's going on. And I don't feel right about supporting an organization that is willing to forgo standing behind their players who are the reason they're making so much money. Yeah, it's one of those things that makes me uncomfortable as well. I love football and football has absolutely paid me back in terms of everything that I put into it. But I look at it as a situation where the players, the players are in a unique position because and fans try to equate what they do in their job occupations to what the players do. And, and while there are some similarities. Here's the, the key difference that a lot of fans will never really be able to understand. The players are the product. You know, in most jobs that people go to work on, they're not the product. They're helping to produce a product, but they're not the actual product. The players are the actual product on Sundays. Without the players, there is no NFL. There is no games. So that's one of the things that's a key difference in this situation. And you would think because 
of the relationship between the players and owners that the owners would be a lot more receptive to the players being able to have this format of protest available to them. They'd be a lot more receptive to trying to find meaningful solutions or even meaningful compromises to the issues that they're facing and recognizing how passionate the players are about the issues that they're protesting or advocating for. I just feel like the NFL owners tried to find the easiest avenue to get to a situation where they're not a target of certain political figures. They're not a target for criticism. I think the owners, they want to be in a position where they appeal to the maximum number of people. And so they're willing to set any kind of rules or implement any kind of rules in order to be able to do that. And I feel like them unilaterally imposing this new anthem policy was a way to get rid of the controversy, keep the product from being polarizing and try to appeal to as many consumers as possible. Because the biggest thing with the NFL owners is the bottom line. I feel like the NFLPA should have negotiated better and should have done a better job representing their players in this situation. The NFLPA tried to do everything that it could do. And I think they're still looking into how the NFL is trying to unilaterally impose this anthem policy because it wasn't collectively bargained. This should have been something that was collectively bargained. And anytime you have a change in the fine schedule or what we call the discipline schedule for NFL players, that's supposed to be collectively bargained. Now, how the NFL owners got around that is that they're going to find the teams or the clubs where players kneel or show some form of protest during the national anthem, and then they'll leave it up to the clubs to find those respective players. It's almost a situation where they're passing the buck because they're not directly finding the player that they can get around collectively bargaining any type of rules changes or fine changes. You think Kaepernick's ever going to play again? No, I don't think he's ever going to play again. But I look at what he did and I say, I think it's even that much more powerful if the NFL continues to try to blackball it because Mm -hmm. it shows how important the issues are where a person was willing to sacrifice a career that they had worked their entire lives to be able to have the opportunity to be involved in. Like you, you sacrifice everything that you've worked for your entire life because you determined that this issue is bigger than being able to play football. It's bigger than just you, the individual. And that's the thing when you, when you're willing to sacrifice for something that's bigger than you, I think that speaks volumes about how passionate you are about the particular issue. I feel like he's gotten so much support, but also obviously a lot of hate. So he, I mean, it's almost like he brought something on. He took charge. He took a responsibility on that he didn't necessarily have to, but his personality as a kind human being, I would say, made him do it. And I think that makes him a very special person. I'll say this. People that have been critical of Colin Kaepernick, I think ultimately will find themselves on the wrong side of history. Just just like people that were critical of the civil rights movement in the 60s and people fighting, black and brown people fighting for voter registration reform. Those folks found themselves on the wrong side of history. The folks that were on the other side during Bloody Sunday in Selma, they found themselves on the wrong side of history. I think the people that are in opposition to Colin Kaepernick and the players that are protesting during the national anthem over the last couple of seasons, those folks will find themselves on the wrong side of history. Do you think you would have protested also if you were still playing? Uh, you know what? I try not to get into answering that question just because I'm, I'm on the other side of it now. I'm not playing, so I'm not faced with the same conflict that the players are faced with. I would like to believe that I would, 
just because it's bigger than just me, the individual. It's bigger than football. It's about our community. It's about trying to make our country uphold the ideals in which it was founded on. That's a constant struggle. Being somebody that is patriotic, somebody that loves this country, I I would want to be on the side of the players that are fighting for the reform in the criminal justice system. I would want to be on the side of the players that are fighting for equality. So I think it would be hard for me to stand idly by while other players are willing to sacrifice, willing to compromise their careers. I couldn't, in good conscience, sit there and not do anything. I couldn't do it. I appreciate you sharing that opinion with us. I know it's not easy to talk about those things, but thank you so much for trusting us with that information. I want to talk a little bit about this millennial attitude of instant gratification because it kind of ties into the mentality of being great, being a champion. Uh, People get caught up in this instant gratification mode and insta-famous, but I feel like most people don't understand what comes with being in the public eye. And based on your experience, what would you say to the generation of millennials and the other one behind us, I, I forget what they're called, about this lifestyle of fame that many seek after? I think people seek after fame and they have a correlation with fame and success. And I don't necessarily know that those things are necessarily all the time tied together. I don't necessarily believe that. Uh, I think somebody can be successful without necessarily being all that famous. And I believe that people can be famous without necessarily being successful, being able to monetize said fame. It's funny. I was listening to one of my coworkers, Colin Coward, on his daily radio show. It's from noon to three on FS1. Outstanding show. I think Colin Coward is one of the best on-air personalities in the industry. But he was talking about the difference between Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, two top five picks at quarterback in the NFL. Baker Mayfield, obviously the number one overall pick out of Oklahoma. He got drafted to the Cleveland Browns. And Sam Darnold, who was drafted to the New York Jets. And he said, in talking to the two prospects after they were drafted, he noticed one key difference. And he said that the attitudes of the two players toward what they were walking into, not only being a part of the National Football League, but understanding everything that that entails. He said that Sam Donald had a greater appreciation for the gravity of the situation he was walking into than Baker Mayfield. And he could tell because when Baker Mayfield came in studio to speak with him, he said he had a sound guy. He had this guy. He had that guy. He had a, he had, he had an entourage with him. Mm-hmm. And whereas <laughs> Sam Donald just came in with himself, you know, he came mm-hmm. in by himself to do the interview. And he said, you could tell that Sam Donald was taking it a lot more seriously than Baker Mayfield was. And he said his message to the two quarterbacks is the same as it is to his kids. He said, serious people win in the world. Not just in football, not just in athletics, but just period. Serious people win. You can see it when you point to anybody that you would consider great at their respective craft. They're serious in their approach to it. And so I guess that's what I look at in terms of the millennial attitude and understanding the difference between fame and success and being able to monetize whatever it is that you're, you're working at or working within. You have to be serious in your approach. You yeah. can't have a laissez-faire attitude toward what you're doing. It has to be serious. I look at the two quarterbacks and I say, while I would agree with that because I actually had the same opportunity to sit down and talk with both of those guys, you have to say that. It's about being serious about your craft. 
That's what it ultimately comes down to. How serious are you taking your craft? Because if you, if you tell me that it means something to you and you're taking a serious approach, then I'm going to be able to tell you about your work ethic when you're doing it. I'm going to be able to tell you about the discipline surrounding it, what you need to do, what you need to stay away from. All of those things have a higher level of urgency when you're serious about it. And also, I would say that being in the public eye or having that, quote, celebrity status is not necessarily a bed of roses. And I don't know what your experience has been, but I assume that it's not easy to be recognized in public because you can't really have a normal life. Yeah, well, you can't hide from it. I always looked at it as something that I worked for. People recognize me. That's cool. You know, people come up to me all the time and say they love to see me on TV or they love my radio show. I take it as a compliment. I take it as people recognizing how hard I work at what I do. But ultimately, that's not the motivation. Again, going back to the conversation that we had earlier about motivation, I don't rely on external motivation to be what drives me or to be what pushes me toward being great. I rely on the internal motivation, you know, the goals that I set for myself and and how much the opportunity means to me. And I think that's the key that a lot of people in our generation are missing. They're missing their why. They don't know why they're doing things. They don't know why they want to achieve a certain status or a certain level in their life. They just want it because it looks cool. <laughs> it looks enticing. That's the trap with being a part of the social media generation, right? Everybody sees the highlights from what other people post about their lives on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and they don't see the grind that's behind it. You have to have blinders on, essentially. You have to focus on accomplishing the goals that you set out to accomplish, and you have to ignore everything else. Everything else is just white noise. You don't have time to worry about what somebody else is doing if you're goal-oriented and you're focused on doing everything that you can to accomplish your goal. You just don't have time to do it. I find myself not having enough hours in the day to do everything that I want to set out to accomplish just because I'm so consumed with making sure that I give myself every opportunity to capitalize on the profession that I've been blessed to be a part of. Absolutely. And I think you also have to grow a thick skin and understand that you can't base your life on what other people's meaning of success might be, or you can't base your choices on what other people's meaning of greatness might be. And that's something that you have done really well at. I mean, you've stayed focused, you've stayed working hard on your goals as not only a professional football player, but now also a broadcaster. So I commend you for that because a lot of people fall victim to the opinions of others and they fall victim to the expectations of others. And I think you're truly a champion at not doing that. Thank you. And I appreciate that compliment. That's an excellent point that you brought up. And it's something that I've had to learn over the years is making sure that I define success for myself, not letting that be defined by others. And that's something that when you grow comfortable with who you are, your identity, and when you become more familiar with your purpose, I think that comfort in terms of defining success for yourself comes a little bit easier. That's something that I had to learn to do. I have a couple more questions for you. I want to talk about the Chris Canty Foundation and the Camp of Champions. What inspired you to create them? I just looked at the Chris Canty Foundation as an opportunity for me to give back. There's so many people that poured into my life, gave me an opportunity to chase after my dream, so many sacrifices that others have made so I could be here today. I just wanted to make sure that I paid that forward. I can't pay the people back that helped me along the way, but what I can do 
is help somebody else to realize whatever goals and dreams that they have for their life. So that's what the Chris Candy Foundation is all about, being able to provide academic resources for the kids that we work with, provide service opportunities for the kids to give back. And then we always encourage physical fitness because that's kind of the lane that I was blessed to be a part of professionally. So I use that platform to do that here in New York City, as well as in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where my parents live, where I went to high school. So I try to operate in those, those respective communities. The Chris Candy Camp of Champions is just an extension of it. So I, I wanted to be able to marry my passion for working with young people with my passion for football, developed a football camp. I've been doing it since 2007, just completed the eighth Camp of Champions in the tri-state area in New York two weeks ago. It's really just a blessing to be able to still use football to teach the life skills that translate outside of the game. So being able to teach kids about leadership, communication, work ethic, discipline, but using football drills in a football setting to be able to do that. So really cool. I love it. People can find out more information about the Chris Candy Foundation and the Camp of Champions at www.chriscannyfoundation.org. And I always encourage people to get involved to be the change that you want to see, whether it's with the Chris Candy Foundation or another organization giving back in your community. Always try to be proactive in being the change that you want to see. It's easy to complain, but we really don't have a right to complain unless we're actually out here in the community trying to make a difference. Also, you already answered my final question, which was, what is your passion? But I want to make sure you reiterate it just to make sure I got it correctly, because I think it's working with the youth. But if it's not, can you tell me what is your passion? Well, my passion is essentially encapsulated in everything I do on a daily basis. I'm passionate about what I do for a living, which is delivering sports content on a daily basis in the most entertaining fashion as possible and giving people a perspective that they wouldn't otherwise have. And then also being able to work with young people. You know, because I'm an on-air talent, I've, I've maintained the platform that I started by being a professional athlete. I've got a broad reach and I try to use that in a positive way. And I try to send a positive message to the kids. And oftentimes it's the same message that the kids are getting at home or at school. But we just try to reiterate that. The more positive messaging that we can have toward the kids, the better, because they're receiving a lot of other types of messaging from other places. And so we have to make sure that we're as passionate and we're as proactive about sending the proper messaging to our kids as some of those other entities that are sending negative messages toward our kids. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me on Diferente. Really, honestly, has been an honor and a pleasure having you. Thank you for having me, Maribel. I really enjoyed chatting with Chris about what it takes to be a champion. I hope you did too. Head to our website for the show notes on this episode. Just type in diferentepodcast.com. You'll find a list there of the ingredients to building a successful legacy and being a champion at life, according to Chris Canty. You can also find resources and other topics that we mentioned in this episode. I don't know about you, but that whole part about being a morning person really stuck with me. Are you a super productive morning person? What's your secret to being a morning ninja? Let us know in the reviews. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you like this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at Adiferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.